Okay, episode three. We're back. Back in the saddle. What's going on, Jace? How you doing, man? Oh, I can't complain. Um, how are you doing? I am uh, really excited about today's uh, tonight's episode. Today's episode, whatever. <laughs> I um, I think I think we got a really interesting topic. Um, for for those of you who don't know, a, a documentary film was released. At least part one was released on the traditional Latin Mass. It's called Mass of the Ages, and we were profoundly affected by it and felt like it would be worth our time to take an hour and discuss, um, you know, our review of the film, and I think uh, I think that's an hour well spent. Yeah, and if, if somebody hadn't seen the, the show Mass of the Ages, definitely go out and see it. It's free on YouTube. Yeah, I think I'm gonna link it in the uh, in the description of this episode, um, and spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen it, stop listening to this, go watch it, and then come back. Um, or, or if you accidentally <laughs> listen to this first, we we won't do it justice. Go ahead and still see it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but first, we're gonna start with a prayer, like we usually do, to the Holy Ghost, um, and please join along with us so uh, that the divine. Spirit will uh, uh, influence our discussion and lead us to an edifying hour. In nomine Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Veni Sancti Spiritus, repletora corda fidelium et tui amoris in eis ignim acinde. Imite Spiritum tuum et creabuntur. Et renovabis facium tare. Oremus. Deus qui corda fidelium sancti spiritus illustrationi docuisti, da nobis iniorum spiritu recta sapere, et de eos semper consolationi gadere. Per Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right. Well, um, <sighs> actually, before we start, we, we were kind of discussing it before. Um, his, his eminence, Cardinal Burke, um, you know, he's at this yes. point in time uh, as of what's today, Wednesday, he's still in the hospital with COVID. And I know a lot of people have been uh, rushing heaven with a lot of Hail Marys and prayers. You want to you want to uh, give up three Hail Marys for uh, for Cardinal Burke's recovery? I, th- I think that's a great idea. Let's um, let's do that. Um, this is for Cardinal Burke's recovery, for his safety and his general well-being. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesu. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesu. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesu. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. 
In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. Yeah, Mass of the Ages. Um, what's your what? Give us give us your take on this on this film. And well, I'll, I'll 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 chime in after you, but I want to hear your <laughs> thoughts first. Okay. Well, one of the one of the you know at the beginning they um, of course we we meet through the film uh, Christine. I, Moss, maybe is that how you say your last name? M A U S S. Yeah, it's either Mouse or, or Moss. I, I don't remember which one, but yeah. Yeah, and she, um, of course, she talks about the loss of her husband to to, to cancer. I believe it was brain cancer. They said um, some form of it, and they had four kids. So she's a widow with four kids, and I was uh, on her story specifically. I was really struck, and one of my daughters brought it up during the films. You know, saying how is this this lady not just in tears this whole you know uh recording and of course i know she's she's shed tears at the loss of her husband probably every probably a day doesn't go by that she doesn't do it at, or at least you know have those feelings right. but <clears throat> the thing that really struck me with her story was and like i told my daughter is that she sees the bigger picture and and in this life and as she even says in there she says this world is not everything or something along those lines right and i think that was a good setup for the film because in my opinion the the ancient liturgy of the latin rite the the traditional latin mass we can clearly see through the mass that this world is not everything there is something beyond it, something holy, something good, something that is of uttermost perfection. And, you know, she, she quotes uh, from the book of Job, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be his name, mm-hmm. or blessed be God. And, uh, man, I, I just thought her story was was really powerful, um, you know, for me. And she mentions as well that this life is not what we're made for. And you look back and you say, you know, Adam was created in paradise and in perfection. You know, everything around him, you know, he, he didn't. Oh, and by the way, one of my goals in this podcast, <laughs> sorry, Butterfly, That's is okay. uh, I'm going, one of my goals is to try not to say you know so much. So um, I, I know I'm already saying it. But anyway, <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, I got a, saw a Butterfly there and went with it. That's all right. But uh, I, I, I didn't even notice it. But going back to Adam was created in paradise with everything around him was perfect. And she's right. We aren't made for the heartache, toil, materialism around us, the fleshly desires, you know, the concupiscence of the flesh. Mm-hmm. And that is not what God's plan was for us. And of course, as, as our first parents and as we do, we struggle with daily, we, we, we destroy that grace that God wants to give us. And, you know, the, the community that you surround yourself with, and she touches on that as well, is so important. And, uh, they, and then they kind of go in and talk about all the statistics between, um, you know, the Novus Ordo Mass and, and, and just, just in general, just Catholics in general. I, I won't even separate the, the masses at the moment. And, yeah, because the, the film really didn't get into i mean it, it it talked about there was some infographics describing the differences the structural differences between the new order of mass and what we call the traditional latin mass but there, there was it was not a blame game it was not uh the new order of mass is the worst thing in the world and if you go to it you're going to hell 
it, it the, the mentioning of the new mass was basically just a, a clinical examination of the differences between the two rites. Um, but the one thing it did talk about in terms of the statistics and everything that you mentioned, and this is not even really something that I think is up for debate, that there's a crisis in the Catholic Church. Um, that is not an extreme position. That's just recognizing reality. And if you think it's an, a right-wing extremist thing to believe, most of the clips about the crisis in the church were taken from CNN and late night talk show host Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon. So, um, and, know. and if we, if, if we have somebody that, that listens and feels different or comments or, or sends us an email or whatever that in their experience in the, you know, their, their, their church has grown, you know, the, of course there's always the outliers and anecdotal evidence, right? But, but, oh, yeah. but statistically, yeah. The, the there's a crisis in the church and i know uh, correlation is not always causation right but it's true but That's in some true. instances it is true and and right. you really have to use your your reasoning that god has given you to say is is this uh causation be, you know because of the correlation or or is it not and, and I mean, in one sense, to me, it almost doesn't really matter because the the thing about this crisis is, um, it seems like everything we've done in the post conciliar era to curb these these bad outcome measures only seems to make the problem worse. Mm -hmm. And then there's this one little section of the Catholic Church that is seeing some success in fighting these. Uh, these issues and it's it's not worth an examination of whether of, of what's going on over there we, we just dismiss it outright because it doesn't fit our theory of what should be happening that seems premature to me um, you know so so the the statistics that were shown in the film were not there to place blame but simply to illustrate a problem that the whole Catholic Church has. And, and that's the thing I, I want to illustrate. Um, these problems that are going on in what people refer to as the Novus Ordo parishes, there are problems too, because those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it's still the Catholic Church. So the idea that, well, that's their problem, that's not our problem. No, sir. No, sir. Well, my, my, one of my questions is, is, we ask these questions because ultimately you want to find the solution, right? Why yeah. is it when you ask these questions, you're, you're lamb blasted and called all kinds of, of names or conspiracy theorist or, or you're divisive. It's like, no, or you're, I'm, or, I'm you're just, a, or you're a Nazi. <laughs> oh man. Don't. don't huh. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be, uh, the way well, everything I can goes today. Right? I can tell you the reason for that, but yeah, because because I think a lot of people are mystified by that, and you know this goes back to episode one, and we were talking about Traditionis Custodes. I mean, we're sitting here racking our brain, looking around our parish, looking for what it is that Francis sees that he's so concerned about. I mean, I I, I I'm not just going to outright dismiss the guy if he has legitimate concerns. If they are legitimate, then they're my Let's concerns solve them. too. Yeah. But what is he looking at that he sees this phenomenon? And in order to answer this question, you have to think like a modernist, which is difficult because you're not a modernist. But modernists 
tend to, the modernists have a real problem that I don't think is adequately appreciated. The existence of the traditionalist Latin mass movement is a huge problem for them. And, and, and here's why, right? If the modernists are right, if their theories about what the Catholic Church is are right, if their theories about what modern people need and want from religion are right, if the modernists are right, the traditionalist Latin mass movement should not even exist. So it, it's not enough to... That's, that's why, because I think one of the things that's so mystifying about this is, okay, let's say you just don't have an affinity for the Latin mass. You don't get it. It does nothing for you. I think that's weird, but hey, you know, there are people out there just doesn't do anything for them. Why does that now mean that I can't go? Why do you care so much? Why does this bother you this much? And the answer is, is that the existence of this movement is a glaring problem for them because it means that they were wrong about a few things. And I don't think people have adequately appreciated how wedded to the idea of the Catholic Church that they have fostered since Vatican II these men really are. It is the culmination of their entire lives' work, and it's failing. And that's a problem for them. It is a huge, huge problem, and they see it. Um, and so... The existence of the Latin mass movement is something they don't understand. And whenever people like that, whenever modernists encounter a social phenomenon they don't understand, they, they call them Nazis. Because Nazis are, that's everybody hates Nazis, right? Nobody thinks Nazis are good. It so once you've, once you've called somebody a Nazi, you don't have to engage with them. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to explain yourself. Somehow you've magically you know? discredited everything they said. I mean, right. I, I just learned recently, I, I didn't know this, maybe you know this, but it's called Godwin's Law, how everything on the internet is, if they disagree, it, it eventually makes its way to your Nazi or Nazism. Right, right. Well, and it, because Nazism is the one thing left in our culture that we all agree on. Right. Well, we agree and, on it, but not. But and, and everybody has different definitions of what it is. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing about about modernists is they fancy themselves as they're so much more sophisticated and they're so much more erudite and they're so they understand the nuances of the world so much better than you do. When in reality, they don't really understand the modern world very much at all. Um, and so they will occasionally encounter social phenomenon that is beyond their understanding. And so the way that they deal with it is, well, that's Nazism. That's, they're, they're Nazis. I don't have to adjust my theories or my, my worldview um, based on this thing over here that you know, is, a, is, a glaringly, is glaringly obvious evidence that I'm wrong because, well, they're Nazis. You, know? you don't have to engage with them anymore. Um, yeah, and, and if you happen to, if you happen to be a sane person that says, you know what, I should engage with somebody, you know, that, that's what the universities used to be about anyway. Right. If, if you say, if you're one of the sane ones and said, I'm going to engage with somebody that disagrees, well, now all of a sudden, even if you don't agree with that person, you're put in the same camp as they are. 
Well, yeah, but I th- that that I think is a different phenomenon than what's happening in the Catholic Church, though, which is which I think is a little bit different. And and follow me here. Okay. It it used to be the case in the Catholic Church that if the Church wanted you to believe in something, if they wanted you to believe, say, in a dogma, the Immaculate Conception, okay, they will publish an encyclical or an apostolic constitution describing what it is that you're supposed to believe, because they don't just want you to believe it out of blind obedience, they want you to understand it so you can incorporate it into your spiritual life and reap the fruits of this divinely revealed truth that was handed down to us from the apostles. And let's say you're somebody who, not because you're obstinate, but you know, you want to be a faithful son of the church, you want to believe in the Immaculate Conception, but you're just having some kind of a block. Something doesn't make sense. And you go to a Catholic priest and you say, Father, I want to understand the Immaculate Conception. Maybe I have some misconceptions about what my misunderstanding is. Can you help explain this to me? And they would be more than happy to sit there and have that discussion with you. In the post-conciliar Catholic Church, um, you're told what to believe out of brute force. You will believe this, um, and I don't owe you any explanations because I'm in charge and you're not. And, um, you know, you probably wouldn't understand this anyway, and you'll do what I tell you to or else. And it's just, it's, it's a way that they treat people. I have no problem with the Second Vatican Council's, uh, you know, legitimacy or authenticity. The New Order of Mass, valid? Sure. Licit? Absolutely. I mean, the Catholic Church says it's licit, and they're the ones who decide. Well, and I think you put um, it well in, in Episode 1. You, you, We don't have the position or authority to argue with the magisterium, the official magisterium right. of the Catholic Church. But was it a good idea that's a different question. Um, that's a different question. And if it's true that Vatican II, when it revised the liturgy, was acting in accordance with the church's tr- legitimate uh, tradition of liturgical reform, then there's some things that need to be explained to me a little bit better because I am confused. I am confused, for example, why is it in, in Mediator Day, which was not written 10,000 years ago, it was written in 1947, <laughs> Uh, Pope Pius XII says um, the church is in, in number 59 of Mediator Dei it says, he says the church is without question a living organism and as an organism in respect of the sacred liturgy also she grows, matures, develops, adapts and accommodates herself to temporal needs and circumstances provided only that the integrity of her doctrine be safeguarded this notwithstanding the temerity and daring of those who introduce novel liturgical practices or call for the revival of obsolete rites is out of harmony with prevailing laws and rubrics. Um, he goes on to say that um, we instance, in point of fact, those who make use of the vernacular in the celebration of the august Eucharistic sacrifice, those who transfer certain feast days, which have been appointed and established after mature deliberation, to other dates, those who delete from the prayer books, approve for public use the sacred text. Um, he, he also talks about um, how uh, there are persons who are bent on the restoration of ancient rites and ceremonies indiscriminately. Um, and how, uh, where, where did I have it here? The, that uh, 
Thus, to cite some instances, one would be straying from the straight path were he to wish the altar restored to its primitive table form. Okay, that's Mediator Day, 1947. And then you have Sacrosanctum Concilium, which says, the purpose of the rites are to be simplified, due care being taken to preserve their substance. Parts with which the passage of time came to be duplicated or were added with little advantage are to be omitted. Other parts which suffered loss through accidents of history are to be restored. Okay, so that seems to fly in the face, to me, of what the Pope has said in terms of restoring things from antiquity. In, Vatic, in, um, in Sacrosanctum Concilium, it also says that um, you, you know, the laws referring especially to the worthy and well-planned construction of sacred buildings, the shape and construction of altars is on the table. And in fact, in the general instruction to the Roman Missal issued in 1970, uh, it, it says clearly that the altar is to, it says in number 261, an altar is said to be, uh, oh, the altar on which the sacrifice of the cross made present under sacramental signs is also the Lord's table which the people are invited to share when they come to Mass. Uh, the altar on which the Eucharist is celebrated may be fixed or movable in any other place, especially if Mass is not normally celebrated there. A convenient table may be used. So either, either Pius Twelfth is wrong, or the wisdom of these guys is, of, in Vatican II is wrong, because you have two mutually exclusive ideas about the nature of the altar. They can both be wrong, but only one can be right. And that needs to be explained to people. If the Pope is concerned that the traditionalist movement doesn't understand uh, how the new rite of mass is the unique expression of the lex orandi of the, of the Roman rite, then that's because they have no explanation for how that's true. We've been asking that question for 50 years, and all we ever get is, I don't owe you any explanation, and in fact, the only reason you have that question is you're a bad person. Sorry, I went off on a rant. No, no, you're good. I mean, you were good. Uh, what was what, uh, the the document that Pope Pius XII wrote? It was uh, Mater um, uh, just, Mediator, I, Mediator Day, and this was in 1947, and it was discussing the liturgy, and not just it, the Mass, I, but also the the office as well, the, the 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 breviary. I read that roughly about a month ago, and I and I remember reading that part, and I was actually kind of taken aback by it. Um, yeah. In, in some yeah. ways. But he makes the point, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, from, from what I remember you reading, he mentions that, it, you know, if there, there, I said it again. He says that if there is things in the Mass that, that hurt the, how does he put it, the doctrine or the, the teaching of the church, it, it, how does he put it? You know, does that sound familiar in there? In, in, in uh, Mediator Day? Right. How does, um, how does he word that? Well, there's, I mean, the, the thing is, is that there is a legitimate tradition of liturgical reform in the Roman Rite. No, that no, is, yeah. That is, that is undisputed. No, no, I agree. I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, is at some point in there, he, he writes, if I'm remembering it right, like, and you just read it, that, that, that there can be liturgical reform basically if it doesn't hurt uh, for all intents and purposes, the teaching and the doctrines and hurt the church itself, right. right? Right, right. Now, let me preface this by saying that that I know there's a, you know, you, you've got your Novus Ordo Catholics, you've got your 
um, traditional Catholics, you have people out there who, uh, a lot of people, at least uh, in our circles, that know the statistics between belief in the real presence, uh, is abortion morally wrong or acceptable? You know, we, we know all those statistics between the between the two churches, right? You know, is contraception yeah. licit or illicit? I, I, I will say that by no means do I want to take anything away from our faithful and loving uh, Catholics that happen to attend a Novus Ordo parish. Um, and I'm and I'm talking about the ones that 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 have a choice, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because because actually. In, in, in my conversion, there's uh, we met some people who, the, the, they're an older couple that the, they could probably be our you know they, they could be our parents, <clears throat> me and Chris's parents, mm-hmm. and they um, super orthodox, super faithful, come to grow and 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 love them like family. I mean, I actually love them, not just like hey, I love that guy over there, you know, like uh, uh, a, a familiar type love, right? Sure, sure. They're, they're the godparents of a few of our kids. So by no means am I one to say, well, they're, they go to Novus Order, they're automatically bad people, right? Right. Or, or maybe not bad people, but bad Catholics. Right. I believe in, in our life that the, the, the people that we know best, I believe, yes, they do tend the the new mass. But if something were to happen to me and my wife, I have the utmost confidence that they would teach our children the correct and orthodox dogmas and doctrines of the of the church yeah with, oh, with yeah, that of course with that said i i, I wanted to preface all that because i don't want to i don't want to come off as always negative or or talking bad about one or the other but i don't see how you can see the statistics that are coming out and say these liturgical reforms were good for the church and i know i know the argument sometimes is well it may take a hundred years to to determine if if a council's declaration or changes or 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 whatever uh, were were positive, but I don't think we really need to go that far it, it, with, with the statistics we're seeing. I mean, you like the video, like the the video said, or the the movie. Seminarians are down. Re, you know, the religious life: your nuns, your monks, so on. You know, all all those groups are down. Yeah, the beliefs are suffering, I'm t- and we're not talking about non, you know, important beliefs. We're talking about these are things that make you Catholic are suffering. Marriage and divorce is is at an all time high, and the saying, you know, as the saying goes, as the church goes, goes society. Oh, and and I and I think we're seeing that in this because even even uh, Pope Paul the when he wrote Humanae Vitae. His predictions were when it came as far as uh, sex and contraceptions, all these things would happen. Divorce would increase, abortions. Uh, you know, he lists several several different things, and those are true. So I, I think you have to look and at least ask the question: What are we? What are we missing in the new mass that that that, that is causing us to suffer and, and that's not to discredit and say that the church pre-vatican II was perfect i mean i'll you know i and you're right there with me i'm sure they had their problems and i know that maybe they were they were kind of dwindling on some of their attendance and and everything before vatican II. but it seems like it's been warp speed when you look the past 50 you know the past 50 60 years and 
I look at the liturgy and I look at it, at it as something that is important to communicate God's sacredness, goodness, beauty, holiness. And the Latin Mass best, in my opinion, best represents and shows you those those things about God. And I, I, I know I've told you my conversion story, but but I'll make it quick. You know, we, we, we converted from Protestantism, came to... Uh, through a do a novice order parish no complaints everything went went good for us there but i started going to the the latin mass and and actually after the first time i went my wife tells a story she says we were driving we were driving down the driveway there because you know along our driveway is there at the parish oh yeah she, she says jason looks at me and goes this is where we're going and she tells him jason's usually not like that he's not usually just okay this is what we're doing you know he'll he'll talk to me and all that but she said this time he was, this is where we're going. And at first she was like, well, we just, because as converts, we just uprooted all our friends, our, you know, a lot of our beliefs, our life and everything. And we had, at this parish that we were attending, we met, we, we had a good community of people that we met there. And now I'm telling her, we're going to uproot again because we're going to the Latin mass. And part of my reasoning was, is, I saw the statistics, and the thing that, that scared me the most was one of the big reasons I converted was because when I read the Bread of Life Discourse growing up, <clears throat> I always struggled with Holy Communion being a representation and not the actual body and blood. Mm -hmm. So I saw the statistics of how many Catholics believe in the real presence, and I'm like, that, that is central to our faith. And then, and then I start noticing, well, it says, and then you would see the statistic next to it says traditional Catholics, I believe it was like 98, 99% believe in the real presence. Right. When I went to mass the first time and I saw the altar rails, I saw the people kneeling to receive it. Only the priest could uh, uh, distribute communion. It, it, a light bulb went off and said, this this is why the real the belief in the real presence is suffering because here when i come to a, a, a traditional mass and and as far as the latin latin rites go because i know the the eastern churches you know they use like the byzantine they use spoons and nobody touches it there right but right. you go down and you receive the body blood soul and divinity of jesus but only consecrated hands can touch it. There is so much care taken into it that as a young, I'm thinking my kids, as young kids, they can't help but think there's something different about this versus what we were doing where many times it was, you, you, you would watch, and I, and I don't mean to be judgmental. This is just my, my experience. It's being handed out like it's candy. People coming up that, there. That, that, and, and, is far, and, and, that is far from just your experience. Well, believe and, me. <laughs> and, Unfortunately. And, and if one yeah. of my if one of my friends happens to listen to this, I'm not going to say his name, but he he told me a story one time where after he was a convert to from actually the same faith tradition that, that I'm at. He mentioned that he told me a story one time that one thing that really got him thinking about how Holy Communion was distributed was he was doing a daily mass. And he was handing out Holy Communion. Mm. Well, the uh, the parochial is that how you say it? parochial uh -huh. priest priest yeah. came came up that day, and he was giving the priest 
Holy Communion as an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, right? And he he said it kind of dawned on him. He he goes, why am I, a lay person, given a priest who has consecrated hands, Holy Communion, when when uh, from our understanding of Vatican II, this is what he's saying. Our understanding of Vatican II says that EOCs are only supposed to be used in extraordinary circumstances, not every day or every Sunday use and i don't even for me personally i don't even know how you necessarily justify even using them period okay so what it takes you 10 15 more minutes to get through everybody so be it i mean is jesus not worth that to you and well, i think I anyway think, i kind of went what, off on a tangent here but 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 well, what d- you're, what just you're let talking me start- about is is what the film was really about and, and far far from being a place where everybody has a pol- and, Yes, maybe it was true at once upon a time the the traditional Latin mass movement were was full of people with some political agendas. I don't know how true that is or how accurate you could describe the whole movement like that. But primarily what the film was about was about people describing exactly what you're talking about. People who did not grow up with it, felt no particular nostalgia for it or attachment to it, had no political agenda one way or the other, but discovered it and found something that they had been missing. And something you and I have talked about before many times is how modern religion of any stripe in the United States, this is probably true everywhere, but the United States is where I live and that's what I know, is just such crap. I mean, it's... It's the most banal, toothless, insepid nonsense about, you know, God is love without ever qualifying what love means, you know. So anything, therefore, anything you love is godly. If I love heroin, hey, you know, I, I, you know <laughs> I what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> that might be a little extreme, but I think I get your point. <laughs> but what this film was about was an epic meditation on the nature and the purpose of your life, okay? A big chunk of the film is about death. And in modern religion, we don't talk about death because that's kind of a downer. You know, God is God is God just wants you to be happy all the time. And the problem is, of course, it makes no modern religion has nothing to say about suffering. And so when you do suffer as most human, as all human beings do, a big chunk of life is suffering. You think that there's something special happening to you. This is this is somehow you did something wrong, or that life is being unfair to you personally by having to suffer. When in reality, suffering is the nature of reality. We live in a post-cataclysmic world. The fall is real. And modernism just has nothing to say about it other than, well, if you're suffering, it's because we haven't fixed the institutions of society that cause that suffering. But don't worry, we're on it, you know. Um, And in this movie, you have a woman, she's the mother of, I think, five kids, who, you know, she's a young woman. She's probably about our age, maybe 30s, 40s. I don't know how old she is. If you're listening to this, ma'am, I hope you're not insulted, but... In the midst of a profound and devastating tragedy, has found hope, has found joy, has found peace. And my question is, why does that bother people quite so much? 
Why do people look at that and see that as a problem that they need to solve? If you look at something like that and you're like, that, that's not acceptable, that woman needs to be as angry, bitter, and miserable as I am, then you are truly a diseased and sick individual and you need um, conversion badly. Well, and, um, and, and she mentions in the film about how the after, she says death, I believe, or, or maybe the afterlife, heaven and hell, I, I forgot how she words it, is hitting her kids squarely between the eyes every day because of the loss of their father. And th this book that, that I just ordered from Tam Books is called Parenting for Eternity. In the very beginning of the book, he actually talks about you need to talk to your kids about the last four things, you know, heaven, hell, um, death, and uh, what's the other one? Anyway, doesn't matter for, for my sake here. But... Heaven, hell, death, and purgatory. Heaven, hell, death. Oh, yeah, something like that. But anyway, he mentions in there that you need to talk to your kids about these uncomfortable um, um, issues because you know, not in a morbid way, but 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 your kids need to realize, hey, these things are real, and when you die, you're going to be going to one of these, you know, heaven, hell, or purgatory when you die, right? Mm -hmm. And. And I think also when I look at that film and her story and re reading this book, I also feel like the mass also makes you, you know, like I said in the beginning of this, makes you recognize there is something other than this life. This can't be all. There is something so much better. And I need to take seriously my life in order to get to this beauty that I'm seeing, you know, the, the, the perfect beauty of God, you know, the beatific vision. Right. And, well, and, I mean, and, and of course, the mass doesn't doesn't do the beauty of, you know, we do it the best we can here on earth and as as men. But I think it gives you something. Uh, it, it, it uses your senses, your smell. You know, who doesn't like the smell of incense? I'm sure there's some people don't, but they're probably communists. Um, you know, you've well, got that, your, the, uh, every every baby boomer I've ever met says that they can't stand the smell of incense, which, OK, you know, fine. You don't have to like the smell of incense. My biggest problem, though, is that <laughs> that th this modern religion that is toothless and, and void, they have a particular presentation of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, that he's, he's a very non-judgmental, he wants you to be happy, and essentially he doesn't really believe in anything. Uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't subscribe to any particular church, he hates religion. And um, he doesn't judge anybody or believe in anything. The same the guy, problem, the same man that spent some time uh, braiding up a, a whip. Not to mention the <laughs> fact that he went through the most excruciating and humiliating execution you can imagine. And the only thing he would have had to have done to not go through that, he didn't even have to tell a lie. All he had to do was shut up. Stop talking. Just stop talking. But the truth was so important to this guy, he chose the cross. If the cross is the price of telling the truth, I choose the cross. If the life of Jesus of Nazareth proves anything. It's that in order to tell the truth, you're going to have to risk being offensive. Modern life, modern religion, for all of its uh, pop music and as entertaining as everybody claims it is, does not give people meaning and it does not explain why life is so hard. But then you come to the traditional Latin mass. You look up at the altar. 
you see a God who chose to become a human to suffer with us. He chose to suffer with us. That's a profound meditation. And he didn't do all that for him just to, for him just to say to us, no, just do what you want as long as you're a good person. You know, you try to you try to do good even if you're not good and and all you have to do is just say you believe in me, you know, and, and if it's convenient, you don't have to believe in me at this point in time. But you know what? I'll, I'll save you anyway. That's that's not the message of Jesus. And that was one of the, the messages in the film is there's a priest who is recounting a story about uh, a young woman who was killed in an automobile accident. Um, and she was they were preparing a funeral mass. And her sister said this is going to be the happiest day of her life because she knows her sister is in heaven. And the, and the ceremony that was laid out was there to reflect that theme. Now that sounds, doesn't that sound nice? I mean, that just sounds nice. You go, okay, that's, what's wrong with that? How can you possibly have a problem with that? Here's the problem. It ignores the reality of death. And it makes it, like, like the good father says in the movie, it makes it seem like all you got to do to get to heaven is die. Yeah. Let's not forget, death is a punishment for sin, and it's a horrible punishment. And if you don't think it is, then you are not accepting reality. You are out to lunch. Who here has ever had a close family member or a friend die at a young age and been like, well, win some, lose some, you know, hey, you know. <laughs> No, it's a I, know I shouldn't laugh at that, but geez. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, just to point out the absurdity of it, it's yeah. a profound, it, it makes you question the meaning of your own life. And the problem with the modern world is for all its technology and all its baubles and all its constant entertainment, people lack meaning. They don't have meaning in their lives. And then they come and they find this. For some reason, there's something about this that communicates to them that they that that the world that they're in is but a paper box and that this is not your home your home lies in eternity well and people find that profound I, I i find that to be a profound meditation let me add this you know along those same lines ck lewis i think that was a comedian's name on the beginning he's actually he's actually quite a crude individual but anyway <laughs> you know he but he's doing it in a joking way on the talk show about talking about there's an emptiness inside ourselves, right? But sure. he's actually, he's actually, I don't know, maybe he realizes it, maybe he doesn't, unintentional, intentional, I don't know. But there's, there's a lot of truth in that emptiness. You know, in Ecclesiastes, it says that God put eternity in man's heart, right? Right. And, and I think that's what that that emptiness what that what that isn't that only god can fill it so as human beings we if if we go after what the world has to offer in any and everything but what god has to offer we will always have that emptiness in us and that only god can fill because you know god put that emptiness or or put that what it's what the ecclesiastes writer says he puts that eternity in our heart in a way to probably make us want to search for god because you're you're going to try to fill that 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 emptiness or that void that you feel inside that only god can fill and right. and i think it was saint augustine who uh how he put it our our hearts are restless until they rest in you which is the the same the same concept and and uh 
people people will find that can only find that for one in the Catholic Church, but but I think there's a unique expression of it in in, in my life at least in the traditional Latin Mass. Well, and so this is this goes to another conversation that also is something that that I've heard from people, and I think this is a legitimate question. Okay, Mark. Okay, Jason. So why does why do why can't the Novus Ordo Mise do those things? And so here's here's I, I don't think that the I, I don't know that I subscribe to the theory that uh, that the Novus Ordo Mise was divine was was designed with diabolical intentions. I mean maybe that's true, but I I tend to think simpler explanations are probably more likely. Yeah. And I think about the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is a story about a, a bunch of people who believed that they could, with the work of their own hands, create something that was on a divine level. And the problem is not that everybody at Vatican II was a bad person and they were all out to destroy the church and they were all Freemasons. I don't think that's true. I think what happened is a lot of really well-intentioned people uh, had some flawed understandings about the nature of the world they live in, as we all do. One of the biggest problems with modernism is that an effort to adopt the Catholic Church to modern times will always fail because you don't know enough about the world you live in to be able to do that and do it well. Think about the economy. The economy is just one institution in our world. And there are analysts and, and pundits and news people who spend all day analyzing charts and trying to make predictions about what the market would do. And they're almost always wrong. Now, if these guys can't predict just that one aspect of, of our modern world, what makes you think that you understand how to adapt a liturgy for, quote, the needs of today? Because the world we live in is very, very complex. Some of those needs are contradictory to one another. And I, I think it's hubris to believe that you can design a liturgy. And again, you have to think like a modernist. Modernists have this thing. They don't think people are really individuals. People are like blocks of wood or furniture, right? So I have theory and I insert people. They don't consider the fact that the people who you're putting into this liturgy you've designed come with their own ideas, their own attitudes, their own various levels of education, their own historical and cultural backgrounds, and their own sense of aesthetic beauty. It doesn't even occur to a modernist. And so when the theory fails, the un it's always, well, there's nothing wrong with my theory. It was the people. They didn't behave like the monolithic blocks of wood they were supposed to. These young people aren't supposed to like the traditional Latin mass, and I know that because I took a class in college that said so. And it's just a fundamental, uh, uh, it's flawed thinking that they approach with. Um, you know, one of the things that you forwarded to me was this review of the mass of the ages from America Magazine, and why I don't want to give this guy any more press than he deserves i think it was a perfect example of exactly what we're talking about um it starts off with well it's not exactly the triumph of the will but and mass if, of the ages is and if people don't propaganda. know what triumph of the will is it's nazi propaganda so here we go again going back right. to it, 
it's they're, not trying they're not the quite world, Nazis, but they're they were trying, to be. trying to be. Yeah, they were trying to be because that they because that's the movie we all like because we're all Nazis, right? And it had the classic hallmarks of propaganda, scapegoating, fear mongering. What well, what did you think? What what movie did you watch? What, I mean, I'm legitimately interested in finding out. What well, here's he believed the thing. This movie was supposed to scare him. Here's about, the here's the thing with it, Mark. This guy. So when I sent it to you, I sent it to you before the Mass of the Ages was even officially released. Mm-hmm. He wrote this article. I believe it was on the 13th, two days before. Okay, people people got pre screenings. I guess he was one of them or whatnot. I I would be willing to bet that this guy either had this article written out with just a few fill in the blanks, or he already knew what he was gonna say before he ever saw the film. And oh, I tell no you question. I tell no you the question. thing that really irritates me on this this article is in the first paragraph when he says, you know, if only the priest would turn his back on the members of the congregation, the movie log- the movie's logic goes and recite the liturgy in a language they don't understand, the pews would be full and the seminaries overflowing. Suicide rates would drop, divorces would end, no one would be lonely. What an <laughs> ignorant, stupid sarcastic tone he has right there starting off the article and 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 is intentionally being dis intellectually dishonest with what the movie was trying to portray that's a straw man argument i mean the the movie at no point said that if the entire catholic church adopted the traditional latin mass there'd be no more evil in the world we would never make a statement like that that's never happened the church has never said that but I do think it is interesting to point out that in the midst of all the crises that the Catholic Church is facing, vocational crisis, a crisis of belief, a lack of attendance at daily mass, there is a section out there of the Catholic Church that does not seem, not only do they not seem to not be having this problem, they seem to be making headway in, in the opposite direction. Now, it's, I, I, maybe it is true that adopting the Latin Mass for everybody wouldn't make that bit of a difference. But I think it's worth your time to explore the possibility that it might and get because to know nothing the else is working. Yeah, nothing and, else is working. And get to know the people. I, I don't know. This this article, like I said, it, it just irritates me. And, and I would say if you're looking to join the circus as a clown, call this guy up. He could probably teach you. Well, I mean, look, I, I'm not. <laughs> no, listen. I know I John probably Anderson. shouldn't say that, but it really. Oh man, this thing just rubbed me the wrong way because it's like he, this was not a fair assessment. Now I know people could say, "Well, Jason, you don't know that," but that's just how he feels. This is the, this is along the same lines of what you already hear from everybody else that that is against the traditional Latin Mass. Well, here's the here's the problem. I can tell you. I can tell by reading this. He saw the movie and he didn't understand it. He didn't, and that's not to say he reached a wrong understanding of it. I mean, I think he watched this thing and went, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I, I, I can't write that I don't understand this because I'm one of the smart people. I'm a modernist and I, I, I'm more nuanced and sophisticated about it. I can't admit that I don't know anything about what they're talking about in this movie. So Nazis. And that's what he did. I mean, it, 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 and not that you're not allowed to think that. You, you you don't like the Latin Mass, that's fine. But this, like you said, was so intellectually lazy, and I can't even believe America Magazine even published this as a film review. Uh, the fear mongering and the and the and the and the scapegoating. I, he provides no 
examples of what he's talking about here. Listen, if you're uh, gonna if you're gonna post a review or you're gonna or you're gonna say something negative it, or, or try to try to downplay something or downgrade it, at least be original. I mean, he he the arguments are paranoid. He uses paranoid politics, exclusionary worldview. Well, like what? What what did you see that that made you think that? Well. They're Nazis, so they have to be exclusionary, and uh, that's pretty much all I know. By the way, uh, John Anderson, if you're listening to this podcast, and I know you're not, he but probably if you is. are, and you feel like I am mischaracterizing your uh, opinion piece, I'd love to have you on the pod, uh, and in 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 charity, because I'm legitimately interested in finding out how it is you see what you saw there, because I legitimately am not seeing it. So maybe you can explain it to me. Um, you trying to make me look I, bad? No, I, I, I'm <laughs> because just, you're being a lot more charitable than I am. I I know I probably let my emotions kind of get into that, but no, no, you're right. But I, it, man, it, it it does it does rub me the wrong way quite a bit, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things, one of his uh, his beefs with Mass of the Ages is it didn't present an argument against the Latin Mass. And I was like, well, no, it didn't. That wasn't the point of it's. That wasn't the point of the film. The film had an objective, and I, and I don't even know that you can fairly say the point necessarily was to. Uh, uh, I mean, it was, but uh, but but I think you know as far as promoting the the traditional Latin mass, of course that was in there. But I think I think Cameron O'Hearn had a bigger vision in this is to say, hey, how can we get back to a strong Catholic church. What can we do? And of course, he he sees part of that direction in the traditional Latin Mass. My my favorite quote from the uh, from the piece was, "And then there's the charity of Pope Francis, the Pontiff's attempt to make the Mass both Catholic, capital Catholic, and lowercase C Catholic, as well as a uni- as well as unified, have been met with the same kind of <laughs> us against them thinking that consoles people whose real problems lay elsewhere and whose double talk is given a showcase in Mass of the Ages." Okay, now who's being who's who's doing propaganda now? Yeah. Uh, you know, get real. Um, well, but you know, if I'm mischaracterizing your piece and you'd like to come on the pod and, and talk about it with us, I'd love to have you. Or he wants, so, yeah. Or he wants to come on and tell me that I'm the clown show. Let's let's have a discussion. Send send, <laughs> send me an email at uh, at tradmenpodcast at gmail and we can talk about it. Well, I do I do see something in his article that actually reminded me of, of something I was going to ask you. So <clears throat> I, I'm always. I'm always uh, taken aback in a good way when I see a celebrity or somebody famous um, speak speak about the, the the Catholic faith, right? So he brings up Jimmy or, or, or interview that Jimmy Fallon had in the film, right? And you know you're always hearing about if you read, and I definitely believe in uh, what he says many times because he has that experience. Father Ripperger, is that how you say his last name, Ripperger? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the the exorcist who says that much of Hollywood and, and the media is either diabolically, how does he put it, diabolically oppressed or influenced. So, so that's why it always stands out to me. But what did you think of Jimmy Fallon when he came up and said, you know, he grew up as an altar boy and sounded like in a traditional Latin mass. And that now he tries to go back now. And he just can't get get on board with the the holding hands, um, 
you know, like they a lot of times they do during the Our Father or the dancing. Some parishes uh, so seem I, to do. I think what I think that is is a um, a very real expression of uh, of something that he. You got to understand a lot of lay people, most lay people are not theologians. You and I are not theologians, right? By no stretch. <laughs> this is a topic near and dear to our hearts, so we've taken some time to educate ourselves at a layman's level about some of these things. But the average Catholic may not have the the the, the words to express what it is they sense, but they sense they've sensed for a long time something's Something's different about the Catholic Church, and, and, and it's not better. And one of the things um, that I, I had a very interesting reaction when the, when the Boston sex abuse scandal broke in, I think it was 2004, um, when that story broke, everybody was really um, upset. Not that those things had happened. Well, they were upset that things had happened, and of course I was too, but they were upset that the story had broke. I was happy that the story had broke because it forced average lay Catholics who have had this sense for a while that something was rotten in the state of Denmark to face the reality that um, it's worse than you thought. Did you say the state of Denmark? Yeah, that's from from, uh, Hamlet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm not familiar uh, with Hamlet, apparently. Oh, well, uh, uh, I read it in high school. Don't remember it to be or not to be. That is the question. Um, And it's the question that occupies us here to be a Catholic or to not be one. But going back to that issue there, the sex abuse scandal and its aftermath have forced average Catholics in the pews to come to grips with the reality that that sense that you have, that things are not as good as they used to be. Yeah, they're actually much, much worse than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. And it's it's time to educate yourself on what it is that's going on and why it happened. And, you know, maybe uh, investigate the true nature of, of your religion. Because this Jesus of Nazareth guy, um, he really existed at a real time, in a real place. These, these events really happened. And he presents a message about the nature of God that is fundamentally different than the one you're going to hear at, I don't want to say Novus Ordo Mise, but the one you'll hear in modern Christian religion, right, of any stripe. Let me right. tell you something. You can't blame this on the Protestants, per se, because if Martin Luther were alive today, he would have nothing to do with Lakewood Church. He would burn that place to the ground. He'd probably hate them more than he hates the Catholics. Okay. Shoot, shoot, I thought I was I thought I was being too mean talking about John, what's his name, John Anderson. I think uh, Martin Luther wrote a lot more. Uh, oh, Martin Luther, than, I, than I said. <laughs> yeah, the idea that well, it's Protestantism. No, it's not. Nothing, nothing at Lakewood. How can you? How can they be Reformed theology at Lakewood Church? They don't have any theology. Well, what, yeah, what can, and and we talked about this yesterday about the whole prosperity gospels. You know, I, I have a, and I think Martin Luther and uh, what's that Swiss reformer's name? Um, Zwingli. Or, Zwingli. Um, Calvin, yeah, yeah. I think they would all have issues with this prosperity gospel. 
Oh, in, intensely. They would have no, I'm telling you right now, these guys would have nothing to do with Lakewood Church. So I don't want you to think I'm picking on the Catholics or I'm picking on the Protestants. Look at the way Buddhism is practiced in this country. Some 23-year-old undergrad will join a yoga studio. She'll start saying namaste to everybody like she understands what that means, even though she doesn't. And she's under this mistaken belief that what's great about Buddhism is they don't have all the moral stipulations like other religions have. Wrong. Wrong. You think in Buddhism you're allowed to sleep with anybody you want for any reason you want? No, sir. You think you're allowed to do narcotics and get high and participate in all these No, they have moral codes. You just don't care about them because religion for you is this sort of, you know, pop psychology crap. Well, well you, make, you make God in your own image. And by the way, I'm not advocating for Buddhism, but I'm just, I'm, no, I'm, I'm illustrating a wider phenomenon here that goes beyond the Novus Ordo. So I don't think the Novus Ordo Mise is the cause of all this, is what I'm saying. No, no. But for whatever reason, it has not proven up to the task of adequately combating this phenomenon. I was about to say the same thing, yes. So, for, and, you know. It, and, you know, there's there's so much, and, and that was one of my, my, um, issues bef when i was in a novus ordo parish one, one of the one of the very few issues i actually had is i felt like the truth was watered down in many ways not not just from the from the pulpit or you know from from the homilies but e even in classroom or group discussions uh, from different ministries right mm -hmm. i think people want to go to the young people especially want to go to the traditional latin masses because they are tired of nothing being absolute and everything being up in the air people want absolute truths in their life just like children though they may not say they want it children yearn for discipline and guidance and direction and as adults that's what we yearn for whether people want to admit to it or not sometimes you don't realize it sometimes your pride gets in the way and or, or whatever it may be this that's stopping you but ultimately everybody wants those absolute truths and guidance and in my experience anytime i've been to a traditional latin mass i feel like i've never received any watered down truth and i've heard some pretty hard teachings yeah well i mean christianity Catholicism, I, I use those two words interchangeably, but... Um, wait, 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 it, wait. Catholics are Christian? Yeah, indeed. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Well, talking to some people, you wouldn't know that. <laughs> you, you have to admit, you have to admit if you're going, if you're being honest, that the revelation about God and the nature of reality that Jesus Christ reveals to us um, asks us to believe in some strange things. Uh, one of my favorite lines in Scripture is, a, is about how John the Baptist, and the first thing they mention about John the Baptist is he wears animal skins and eats wild locusts and honey. So what the, what the authors are telling you is, look, this is a strange guy. Okay, he, 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 By any sensibility, if you met him out on the street, you would think he was weird because we're going to ask you to subscribe to some strange ideas. But there's a there's a purpose for them. They seem strange because the world is has a different vision of you know what they what they want you to do and what they think is right and wrong. But in reality, uh, 
I'm going to tell you a story about uh, a man who was more than who was not just a man. This man was crucified in a brutal and, and horrifying execution. And then three days later, if you can believe it, he rose from the dead never to die again. Now, that ought to give us all some pause. We ought to all go, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. Huh? You know, seriously think about the truths that the, that the Catholic Church asks us to believe. Uh, it's not nothing. There's, there, they... Uh, they are profound things that the church says about reality and to dismiss it as well religion is just about god as love and never qualify love of what love of everything and anything and if that's true do you love anything at all one of my favorite conversations i had with my dad is who's who does not a practicing Catholic, although he thinks he is. He says, you know, there's nothing in the Bible about how you have to go to church on Sunday. And I said, well, that's true. I said, it does say you have to keep the Lord's Day holy. He goes, yeah, that's that doesn't say that you have to go to church every Sunday. I said, okay, well, what does that mean to keep it holy? Well, that means, you know, to pray and to uh, remember the Lord. And, and I said, okay, well, where's that in the Bible? Well, you know, you can't, you can't believe everything just because it's in the Bible. You know, now, now we've we've moved the goalpost again you know and this is just one of these things about modern religion it's and that's just not a crap. singular yeah and that's not a singular example and, and and piggybacking off of you there that's why i you know in the film even talks about it too that's why i i really love at the, at the traditional latin mass and why i hated or i hate that they got rid of it in the in the new mass is the last gospel from john one mm. I mean it, it. I mean it spells out who you know. You're you're about to leave mass, so this is the last thing that you read, and and it tells you who Jesus was, what he did, why he came, and it gives you that idea. Okay, Jesus came here for a reason. He he came here with a purpose, and it just makes you think. I need to go out with that same purpose as far as looking for the salvation of souls because Jesus did something extraordinary for us and i can't just let it you know stay in this in this building and then i leave my takeaway from the film what i thought the film it, it was about the latin mass in a sense but in my opinion the film was about something much bigger the film was a communication to people saying listen i know you think religion sucks modern religion does suck that doesn't mean, that's not because authentic Catholicism sucks. To be a real Catholic, real Catholicism is dangerous, right? It's dangerous. It's edgy, right? It's, it's, uh, it's out there. It's, it's, it's radical love. It is radical love. We believe that the Catholic Church is Jesus Christ extended in time and space. Want to know more? And man, I'm telling you, if you gave that to people, they're going to come to church just to hear what the heck you have to say. But and if that, you give them a bunch of banal platitudes about, you know, uh, God wants us to share. Well, you know, no kidding. Really? <laughs> uh, wow. How profound. You know, that, that just doesn't connect with anybody. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Padre Pio telling you, you know, let's let's take a trip into eternity. 
when you're when you're at holy mass what we're saying is you because christ is present body blood soul and divinity in the eucharist you are present at the instant of creation you could meditate on that for the rest of your life wow yeah let's and, give people something and that's and i don't think the film i don't think me you or anybody else is also going to say well if you went to the traditional latin mass if that's if that became the only expression in the in i don't know if that's the right terminology if that became the only mass in the in the latin church everybody would come because reality is and Jesus even told us, and now I'm, I'm about, you know, that feel-good pop religion we were talking about. Right. If anybody's listening from that, they're going to like what I'm about to say. Because Jesus himself said, you know, narrow is the path, broad is the uh, a way to destruction, and few be there that find it, right? Not right. many people are going to go to heaven. So the, the, the reality is we, we recognize that. So we're not trying to say, oh, if you just switch, everything will be perfect like this article said. And then, and, and you know, even the even the kids at Fatima, uh, 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 they saw visions of hell, and apparently, there was quite full. So, so we're not naive to to sit here and say, "Oh, you do this, everything's going to be right in the world." We're we had struggles. Uh, Catholics had struggles pre-Vatican II for two thousand years. I mean, there were people at the time of Jesus who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead still walked away you read about the miracles that jesus did and you read in there people walked away just like the bread of life discourse right they saw what he did with the loaves and fishes they followed him until he started giving them hard teachings and then they said we out well listen you you almost can't blame them it's a weird thing to say. The thing you got to understand about um, about Jews, particularly Jews in first century Palestine that followed the, the kosher laws, you don't eat human flesh. You <laughs> certainly don't drink blood, right? This was to say something like that, even in a modern day setting, it's bizarre. And I think you would be strange if you didn't think it was bizarre. If you don't think it's bizarre, you're not paying attention. But he goes on further to but explain. He, he goes on to down. explain, he doubles down, and he doesn't back off from this hard truth that right. people are struggling with. Will you go also? And Lord, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And you know, my, you know, my prayer is that every night that, that I, 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 I acknowledge that I, I don't believe in a, as Catholics, we don't believe in a once saved, always saved you know, that you can never lose your salvation. So right. our prayers at night are what? Help, you know, help us, give us the graces needed to live a life that we will not lose our salvation and that we we can be counted worthy to enter into the beatific vision one day. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what he said. Well, if it's once saved, always saved, why are you worried about being led into temptation? Who cares? And, and and you have to recognize these truths as well, because whether you go to, if you're a Catholic, whether you go to Novus Ordo or you go to a traditional Latin Mass or you go, or you're an Eastern Catholic, go to Byzantine or, or Ambrosian, or I know that Ambrosian ain't Eastern, but you still, just because you go there doesn't mean, oh, I'm guaranteed. Right. You still have to work out, um, uh, your faith with fear and trembling 
Well, it's uh, like, and, and I think it's an interesting thing you just said about working out. Let's pretend you were on a quest to get physically fit. You you wanted to look like a bodybuilder for some reason, right? Or you're training already for a do event. already do. That's right. <laughs> or you're 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 training for a marathon or something, right? And you go to a personal trainer and he tells you, "Listen, work out when you want, if you want." Don't be too hard on yourself. Honestly, you're probably fit already as you are. Eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Don't take this too seriously, man. That's that's the sign of some kind of psychosis or something like that. Well, it wouldn't take long before you'd realize you need a new trainer. Because to, to change, to transform, to make progress requires suffering. It requires struggle. It requires effort. It's a journey. You don't just... Well, I think I want to look like a bodybuilder tomorrow, and then you're going to wake up and look like a bodybuilder. It's not going to work. Well, if that's not how the physical body works, why do people think that the soul works that way? And Paul even makes the, uh, the comparison between running a race. Right. Yes, he does. Um, I think if there are Catholics out there who feel lost in this world and don't feel like the Catholic Church has anything to offer them, the Catholic Church has a lot to offer you. The Catholic Church has a lot to say about suffering. A lot. Very profound and edifying things to say about suffering and the nature of suffering and the redemptive value of suffering. You're not hearing about that because certain people have subscribed to the pop psychology version of Christianity. They tried to do that in the Catholic Church and they're reaping the rewards of that, you know. Um, but I, I would suggest dig deeper, man, because the I, truth go, is go fascinating. Ahead, sorry. You reminded me. I saw a meme today that basically said somebody telling a Catholic, oh, you're going to suffer. And then the Catholic's like, you're telling me like that's a bad thing. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there's truth in that meme that, you know, as Catholics, we believe in redemptive suffering. And it's like your, 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 your child said when watching this film. You got to admit that her her general attitude in the light of this uh, uh, tragedy that she suffered in her family, and talking about the woman in the documentary, it, it's bizarre because she's smiling, she's not angry. She, I mean, she's sad and she's suffering. She's not like she's all right. He's dead. I can party now, right? She she has a suffering soul. But in the midst of that suffering is joy, is peace, is hope. There is, there is hope in the Catholic Church. She's found it. And it's weird looking to see someone who has suffered a tragedy like that and she's smiling. That's what we're talking about. These are the people that the Catholic Church needs to be promoting. You know, oh, absolutely. The, not, not, not some of these other people that we see prated out on social media or TV, it's it's women like and, and even men like this that need to, the church needs to say, look what we have to offer. And, you know, I want to say something about Pope Francis because I think I don't, I, I think people get the idea that I hate Pope Francis. I don't like him. I think he's a bad person. I don't think that. I, Pope Francis confuses me. He's a very strange his pontificate will go down in history as one of the stranger ones. I mean, in, in 2015, he issues this letter, um, Eubalium Misericordiae, 
And the final paragraph, it says, A final consideration concerns those faithful who for various reasons choose to attend churches officiated by priests of the fraternity of St. Pius X. The Jubilee Year of Mercy excludes no one. From various quarters, several brother bishops have told me of their good faith and sacramental practice, combined, however, with an uneasy situation from the pastoral standpoint. I trust that in the near future, solutions may be found to recover full communion with the priests and superiors of the fraternity. In the meantime, motivated by the need to respond to the good of these faithful through my own disposition, I establish that those who, during the, year, during the Holy Year of Mercy, approach these priests of the fraternity of St. Pius X to celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation shall validly and licitly receive the absolution of their sins. Also, Traditionis Custodis. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean it, it. It boggles the mind why you would do something like that, but also you're trying to put the traditional Latin Mass out of business because they're divisive and they're bad people. There's a story about this modu proprio that is yet to be told. Something he's getting bad advice, I think, from somewhere. And that's the other thing I, I wanted to talk about with with popes. All popes, even the saintly popes have done things during their pontificates that have defied explanations and, in further reflection, not been the wisest things to do. Being the Pope is a hard job. You are essentially alone at the top. Uh, you're surrounded by people who are some of the most cunning and uh, people who are as cunning as a rattlesnake and Like anywhere that, that there is power. A anywhere, yeah. Um they're, they're going to tell you two types of information. They're going to tell you what they think you want to hear and what they want you to know. And through all of that, you have to steer the mystical body of Christ until you die. Don't screw up. I've got to tell you, if I was in that conclave wearing a red hat, I'd be sitting there praying, don't call my name, don't call my name, don't call my name. <laughs> and I yeah. think a lot of cardinals do do that, right? So right. I think we ought to have some charity towards Francis and understand that uh, there has never been a pope who has hit every ball out of the park. I think Francis has written a lot of good things, and he said a lot of good things. Um, but with Traditionis Custodes, he biffed it. Okay, he biffed it. That doesn't mean he's a terrible person. It doesn't mean he's going to hell. It doesn't mean he's satanic. He made an error, I think, of judgment. Um, history, I think, will prove to, that to be the case. Who knows? He may even come back uh, at some point during his pontificate and say, you know. Well, after I, he I've listens been, to this podcast, he will. Yeah, after he listens to our podcast. Hey, the trad men have <laughs> changed my mind. Um, well, I, so, agree. You know, I agree with you on on that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't view Pope Francis, uh, Pope Francis as a bad person. I don't view him... Um, I mean, maybe he yeah. is. I don't know him. Well, well, so I can't. We don't have enough evidence to make that yeah. determination one way or another. Of at course. least, at least, I feel like I don't. You know, but, but I, I, as I said in episode one, the problem is I believe he's he's also surrounded by people who are, and you said, giving him bad advice, and or leading him astray because just because he's the pope doesn't mean he can't be wrong. Doesn't mean that. You know, because if you reach the point where you say the Pope said it, I got to do it. Well, now now you're guilty of popolatry. You right. know, because the Catholic Church has never taught that the perfect is uh, the Pope is perfect. Yeah, I know there's a lot of mis misconceptions about what, what Vatican One declared, um, right. but the uh, the Church has never taught that. And 
I don't want to give it too much credence because, for one, I haven't read the whole article. I just kind of glanced at it. But uh, it kind of goes along the lines of what we're talking talking about. And, and, I, and like I said, take it with a grain of salt. But there, but there was a, an article that came out and said one of Pope Francis's uh, lead theologians and, and stuff that he surrounds himself with, a lot of the stuff that was in this motu proprio, this guy has apparently already written about previously. So, so if, if, if that is true, then it leads credence to he's, he, he's getting bad advice from, from, from the wrong people. Well, you're, you're, you are, you are the head of the Catholic. Well, you're the visible head of the Catholic church here on earth, right? Jesus is the head of the church, but you're, you're standing in, right? You're the vicar of Christ on earth. So the people who are going to work hard to surround themselves to you are people who have agendas, people who are ambitious, people who want to manipulate you power corrupts and power corrupts and those and those types of people tend to work very hard to position themselves where you know they're in the inner sanctum and they're they're always trying to manipulate you one of the things we've come to find out in recent years because we're always like why didn't John Paul II do more about this sex abuse issue why didn't he do more and now we're finding out well who knows if he even knew what was happening I mean, you're in a bubble, you're, you're in an information bubble, and the only people who are giving you any information are always trying to manipulate you and, 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 and politic you and, and paint you into a corner, and it's not an easy job. And um, I have a feeling that might be a lot, a lot of what happened with this motu proprio. That's why we don't have a lot of information on this survey, just a lot of uh, anonymous and, and, and ambiguous uh quotes and 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 so you know statistics and stuff like that but but it's but it's really not we really don't know any information about it and i think that 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 may be partly why well i mean i think think about this if you're the pope how do you how do you get your news you don't go down to a newsstand and buy a newspaper you don't log on to the internet and surf the web you have a meeting with your closest aides and you because there's so much going on in the world you're so busy you can't know it all you have a meeting with one of your cardinals or your prefects and you say what do i need to know about this and you know if he feels what you need to know is that all these tradies are nazis and you hear that over and over again because he's whispering it in your ear constantly you're going to come to that opinion um so we don't know what the root of this was. We don't know right. what the cause of it was. I think it was conjecture. a biff. Yeah. I think he biffed it. I think he may even know he biffed it at this point. Who knows? Well, we know we have one listener in Italy, and so we're we're 99% sure it is Pope Francis. So. I feel like it's Pope Francis. So, I think he's listening to the pod for so sure. So I'm uh, speaking to Pope Francis directly right now. If you can if you can hear me, Holy Father, um, feel free to come to our parish in Houston to get to know what us trads are really like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you, if you, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, uh, I totally understand that. Um, send me an Big email fan. at trad, tradmenpodcast at gmail.com and we'll set it up. Um, you know, we, we, in all sincerity, we pray for you and we love you. Holy Every Father. Um, just, um, you know, we, we have to understand the complex realities of the world. You can't dismiss whole groups of people that you don't understand what their situation is as well. They're Nazis. Right. Life is infinitely more complicated than that. So, um, 
Anyway, but, I think I think I think Mass of the Ages was probably one of the most Catholic films I've ever seen in my life. It was more than just about the Latin Mass. It is a meditation on the Catholic religion. You might not know this, but the Catholic religion has the meaning of your life. Yeah, and I think that that yes, that was the one of the big messages. And and like I said, I can't. You know, I think Cameron O'Hearn, I believe his last name right, did a great job. I think uh, Christine Moss, her story is great. And um, just anybody that, that saw it, just pray for that family. And it's, 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 it seems to me clear that if John Anderson even watched the film, I don't think he understood any of it and had to cover for himself. I mean, this was, even if you're critical of the film, this was such a bad review, even a critical review. I can't believe American Magazine published this. Well, that's, if I were the editor, I would have handed that back to him and been like, come on, you can do better than that. Well, that's why I, uh, and I sincerely believe this, and I could be completely wrong, but I sincerely believe that he already knew what he was going to write, just fill in the blanks before he ever saw the film, if, if he even watched the whole thing. And I hate to tell him this, but um, almost every religion in the world recites prayers in a language they don't understand. Uh, do, do you think that uh, I have friends uh, out on the north side of, of, uh, of town who are Jewish? You think they walk around conversing in biblical Hebrew all day long? And, and guess what? The prayers that the priest is offering are not to you anyway. They're not to you. But there's this idea about what religion does is it delineates sacred time and sacred space from profane time and profane space. We have a need for that as human beings. And Latin is timeless, okay? It's out of time. It's something, uh, it, it automatically pulls you out of a temporal world into eternity. Uh, the Muslims, when they do the adhan, which is the call to prayer, uh, that's in Arabic. And it's not modern-day Gulf Arabic. It's classical Arabic from the 7th century. And that's because they're, and you know, what they believe is they're calling you out of time. So this idea that uh, Catholics are weird for praying in languages they don't understand, that's called religion. And well, most and of the religions around the world have done that. And if you don't know that, maybe you're not as erudite and sophisticated as you think you are. Well, it, it in the in, in in Islam, the Muslim. I, I know when I was flying back from Saudi Arabia, I picked up. Of course, they have free Qurans and other pamphlets for you know the religion. I picked up a couple one time, and uh, they actually talk about Arabic at that point about how uh, basically from from what I gather from it that it was the perfect language that was at that time. You know, because it was it was a sake. You know, it was going to be sacred. It was unchanging, so on and so forth. So you're right. It's it's uh, us traditional Catholics using Latin is not like it's just some fad or something that's that just got pulled out of the sky. We we, we are definitely not the only ones because the Muslims view the Arabic they use as something otherworldly. Well, the and the the Jews have a practice. Uh, where they, what you'll notice is Jews, it, it, even um, uh, modern Hebrew, is not the same thing as biblical Hebrew. It's a, it's, it's a much more modern language, and biblical Hebrew is the Hebrew that the Bible was written in. They don't converse in biblical Hebrew. In fact, that's seen as kind of a faux pas, because that is what's called the Lashana Kodesh, that's the sacred language. So we use that language when we pray and we talk to God. And we don't use that language when we talk about profane things because that's the sacred language, right? 
Well, that's what we're talking about here. We're not suggesting everybody go out and converse in Latin um, because that would not be practical. And I don't even think that should be what our desire is. The Latin is the prayer language. That's our sacred language. I think that would um, be a pretty good pretty good episode in the future is us to do one about Latin and why it's important in the churches. And we're going to do the whole thing life. in Latin. So Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one other thing I wanted to comment on on, uh, on Anderson's uh, his his little article or his review where he was talking about our exclusionary worldview. Well, in a sense, he's not wrong um, because we do believe that truth is superior to falsehood, mm -hmm. right? So, so do I believe that the Catholic religion is superior to the Islamic religion? Yeah, it would be weird if I didn't think that because I'm a Catholic. I mean, if you... I would expect that the people who are Muslims probably believe their religion is superior to mine. And if they don't think that, then I have to ask them, then why are you a Muslim? It doesn't make any sense. The truth is superior to things that aren't true. So, yeah, to an extent, I am exclusionary. I, I, I mean, I'm not a white supremacist, but I am a Catholic supremacist. Not to mean that Catholic people are better people, but Catholicism is a superior religion. If I didn't think that, I wouldn't be a I wouldn't be a, a practicer of it. Well, I, I I think that I don't think that's beyond the realm of understanding, right? I I am definitely there, you know, with being exclusive because if if the Catholic Church was just uh, as it was actually told to me at some point during my conversion is just the religion that has the fullness of faith, but if you're Church of Christ, which is which is what I was, or Baptist, or or whatnot, they they have partial truth, but you're over there, you're you're, you're still fine. Right. Then why in the world would I disappoint family, literally lose friends, um, uproot my whole social life and my families because because it revolved around our church life pretty much, right? Right. Why would? Right. If I didn't have this exclusive worldview, which which doesn't bother me that he said that, I feel I feel like that is what the church has traditionally taught. Now, now the church has always also uh, taught what what's it called? Um, where you where you didn't have an a fair opportunity to um, like baptism by desire and well, yeah, yeah, like that, that. But but I forgot what what it's called. But um, something ignorance. Um, Mm. Anyway, brain fart. But it's but but did the church just, did you just fart on my podcast? <laughs> brain wise. Um no, but but invincible ignorance. There we go. The church ah. has, has taught invincible ignorance. Now, do I believe in that? Yes, I do. Um do I believe it's quite abused today? Quite a bit actually. <laughs> But well, yeah. I mean, saying saying that other people have part of the truth, like what's profound about that? I mean, no duh. I mean, I guess technically speaking, if uh, you know, Muslims believe that there's only one God. Okay, I guess they have part of the truth. I mean, I, d does that now mean that Islam is now on an equal footing with the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church? Well, like they say these things that are just so banal and they don't they don't mean anything and they think they're so profound well outside with, saying this stuff and it's like whatever man now i'm not obviously god and and i'm glad i don't have to make these these calls on the judgment day but, but you know god is going to be fair and just and um 
but this this idea that um every you know everybody's good we don't we don't have to worry about it. you know no i i disagree with that in myself because i believe that the truth is found in the catholic church and i don't believe that 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 many people at least in first world countries have an excuse for the invincible ignorance and i don't agree with um bishop Barron's assessment on the um what was his name uh ben shapiro show where where he he essentially said oh well huh, you can come through you can come through the church by willingly rejecting christ and his church right the the church says you can come through it through no knowledge or fault of your own but if i'm but, but if i'm sitting across from somebody and i fail to share the message with them woe to me right right to tell them that truth and if i tell them that truth and i show them that truth and the church rebukes them through her uh, uh teachings woe to them right um so so anyway i kind of on a tangent as usual but that exclusionary worldview does d- does not bother me because i i center i try to center my life on the on the church from from the liturgical calendar to uh you know feast to holy days um to rosaries well there's nothing wrong with believing in truth and standing up for the truth and people who think that there are that there is something wrong with that they they think that if you do that you're triumphalist you're a supremacist you're uh you know a racist or whatever now it it is true that it is incorrect for you to believe that certain races of people are superior to other yes. races of people. That is a a, a, a heresy. That would yes. be an incorrect moral teaching. That you would be an error to believe that. But that does not translate into there is no such thing as truth that is superior to that which is untrue. That is that that doesn't even make any sense. It's certainly not a very uh, useful way to live life or to to make qualifications and, and and qualifications are important when people say we're against any and all forms of discrimination any and all forms yes any and all forms of discrimination okay can i sleep with your wife well no well you said any and all forms and she can't discriminate against me so you know, you have to discriminate at some point. Now, you shouldn't discriminate against people based on their race or their ethnicity. or Things, things they like can't that. help. Yes. Yeah. But we can't discriminate against things that are untrue. If you, if you come That's up and, and you openly support abortion or you're not Catholic and you're trying to receive Holy Eucharist, yes, the church does and should in every instance discriminate against you receiving holy communion right but but if i if i'm a catholic and i come up and i may be uh uh you know a different race or 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 you know short or have some mental disability but but i've been accepted you know into the church you 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 cannot then just reject me on those bases discriminate against me on that but 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 yeah you should be able to discriminate and protect what is sacred from 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 the things that are not sacred. Because what does Jesus say? Don't give uh, don't give what is holy to dogs. And and the word discernment has its same 
root as the word discriminate, right? So when you're discerning, you are in the process of discriminating. And yeah, there, there are good reasons to discriminate and bad reasons to discriminate. But again, qualification of things. God is love. Okay, well, what is that? Love of what? And what kind of love? Are we talking about, uh, uh, you know, eros love? In other words, is, is God uh, sexual love? Well, well, no. Oh, okay, so we need to qualify this a little more. What kind of love are we talking about? And love for what? Of, you know, the, 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 if the devil's in the details, then the Lord is certainly there too, I think. Yeah. Go see Mass of the Ages. Go see well, it. I, I, I see we're up on an hour and a half here, a little over. I just want to add one thing before we go that doesn't really, I guess, affect anybody's beliefs or anything, but just a, <laughs> just a, uh, uh, I'm, so, I'm waiting something that I've noticed. Here. You know what I like about the vestments in the traditional Latin mass versus what's, the what's new that? mass? They look a lot more sharp in the way they're dressed and... More importantly, they look more masculine. Mm. Mm. Just, just something about you know, just I mean the you know the priest comes in the vestments, everything's tight, crisp, you know, and, and then you go to the to the to the new vestments and everything that you see a lot of the at, at a lot of the Novus Ordo parishes I've been to, they're kind of long, flowy, kind of it kind of reminds me many times of, um, and I know I probably shouldn't say this, I I may need to Father May he listens tell me to do penance um but it kind of reminds me of when you see an old east texas grandmother in that big flowery dress <laughs> the uh the snuggie yeah yeah and i don't the, mean the snuggy the snuggy chasuble i don't mean anything disrespectful but honestly i don't it's just in all seriousness when i look at the vestments at, at a traditional latin mass I, i'm actually quite impressed with with how it looks and how masculine it looks and, and in today's world Promoting masculinity is of the utmost importance. Well, I tell you, one of the things that impresses me about the Roman chasuble and the, the, the vestments in the traditional Latin mass, all the way from the, the beretta that the, that the priest wears as he uh, enters the sanctuary, to the chasuble, to the maniple, he's dressed very weirdly. I mean, he looks strange. And, and if you saw him out on the street dressed like that, you'd be like, why is he? That's a weird outfit. It's not, it doesn't look very functional. It, he looks strange. Now, let me tell you why I like that. Because in spite of what pop religion tells you, we're in here trying to sell you on a very strange idea. You're going to eat flesh. You're going to drink blood. And if you're lucky, you will rise from the dead at the end of time, never to die again. <laughs> yeah. And we make no apologies for that, right? So there's, there's a sense in which a big section of the Catholic clergy believes it's their job to put a good face on Christianity because this Jesus guy keeps saying embarrassing things. And it's our job to let the rest of the world know that we're not really like that. We're, we're normal people just like you. No, we're not normal people. We dress in animal skins and eat wild locusts and honey. Come well, come, come, hang out with us for a while. You, you, it's an adventure. At least we're interesting. Well, how about the early church, the early <laughs> Christians? They, uh, they were, you know, when you read Roman historians and, and whatnot, they talk about these weird Christians over here are eating each other, eating humans, you know, cannibalism. 
But the church never changed. They still continued on up to the point of, of death. And when you read about the mortars, a lot of them were happy, <laughs> you know, That's, to, to, to go to their death or truth. That probably is the thing that the Romans commented the most about the Christians that baffled them the most. And it's, it's repeated again in this movie. These people are not... We, we take them to the Colosseum to get ripped apart by wild animals. And they're singing hymns. And they're and they're they're they have joy and peace and hope on their faces. Saint Ignatius is, of Antioch is writing the Romans, don't you dare step in and, what and stop do they it. Know, <laughs> what do they know that we don't know? Well, brother, let me tell you, you should come to Mass and find out what we know that you don't know, because it's amazing. It's amazing. On that note, I think we should close it off with a prayer. And I'm, I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I'm going to do this one in English because I don't have the, uh, the Latin prayer up where I can do it. But it's one of my favorite prayers. And it's an invocation to Our Lady. And it's the Memorare. So join us along if, if you can. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, we fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, our Mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. No episode next week, right? No, I'll be out next week. I'll uh, be going on vacation with the family, so um, hopefully we'll pick up the week after if you're if you're ready. Oh, I'm ready. Enjoy your vacation, man. And uh, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll have a new topic. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but uh, hopefully you guys will stick with us. And it's been fun having you. And uh, we'll see you next time. God bless everyone. God bless you.